back here on Think Tech. Uh, today, we're going to talk about American issues, take two. And the question is, uh, where will Putin want to go next? The domino theory. What does he have in mind after Ukraine? A subject that has been discussed on and off uh, since a year ago when he invaded. And for this discussion, we have our co-host, Tim Apicella. Uh, we have our regular contributor, Stephanie Stoll-Dalton. And we have our esteemed guest, Manfred Henningsen. Our panel is going to discuss Putin's moves. Welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, Tim, Stephanie, Manfred. Uh, Tim, let's start with you. Let's go right to the question. What does he have in mind? What does Putin have in mind? Well, Putin has in mind, in my opinion, is to prevail in Ukraine. He certainly won't um, stop with the lower regions of Ukraine. He'll take the entire country. That's his wish. That's his hope. Um, that may be fading away. Uh, so what we're, Putin really needs is a victory. He needs, some say, save face. I think he just needs an outright victory. And um, <clears throat> since he compares himself to Peter the Great, um, that may entail uh, several countries in, in, in Europe, uh, not just Ukraine. So what other countries might there be? Well, I think a natural one is um, Belarus. I mean, he has a puppet dictator in there and what better way to take over a country is just shove aside your puppet dictator that you've installed. And uh, that would be convenient because uh, it's right there with next to Ukraine. Um, and he's always complaining that uh, Lashenko is not doing enough to participate in the Ukrainian conflict, or excuse me, Putin's war, and uh, he should do more. And that hasn't happened. So given Putin's personality, maybe he's just growing impatient. Uh, there's already a document out there that Russia will um, absorb Belarus by 2030. Uh, Perhaps Putin is on a uh, impatient timeline, and that could certainly be a lot faster. Hmm. Okay. Well, there's, uh, you know, I, I went back and, and Googled the same subject about what's next, uh, and I found a very interesting article on the AP uh, website, and it uh, spoke about the Baltics and the Balkans and west of the Baltics and the Balkans um, as part of Putin's plan. And it described, you know, what he might do. And to my surprise, I realized reading this article, which was so incisive, um, that it was not written today. It was written a year ago, in April 2022. So this is something that people have been thinking about all the while. It's not like a surprise uh, that Putin has a plan. So, Stephanie, what happens um, if, if uh, Putin does not take Ukraine or that he gets slowed down in taking Ukraine? Um, how has the domino effect changed? I, I so appreciate your positive thinking, but right now I think that's phantasmagorical. He is not going to stop. I, I fear for what we face, um, and he he's not going to stop. He's going to he's going straight to Estonia, just like he did in World War II. He's ravenous for it, and nothing is going to stop him short of um, the Grim Reaper, maybe. So uh, your domino theory is brilliant. We're back at it again, seems to me. And uh, he, we, we're going to have to cope with this in some way. And again, I bring up the uh, United Nations and the, the tools we have, the NATO, uh, we, as a world, as a 
global community, uh, we are challenged to to manage to confront this and make something happen to change the outcome that's determined by him. You know, Manfred, right? We had a show. Uh, we had a couple of shows uh, in the last few days with uh, principles of the de- democracy movement in Belarus, and it's clear that Belarus is, uh, you know, in contention now. Putin has a, a lot of control over the puppet Lukashenko, um, but there's also a partisan freedom movement uh, that opposes that. They they blew up a, a Russian plane near Minsk uh, yesterday, uh, which is interesting, using drones and so. So there's this pushback, but Putin needs Belarus because Belarus is the gateway from Russia to Western Europe. It's got railway lines, it's got highways, it goes to Poland, goes to Germany. Um, and so I, I'd like to know what you think about Belarus as a keystone to all of this. Then if Belarus falls, and it may, what happens then uh, to the other Baltics, to Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, and Poland, and Germany, Manfred. Look, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not as pessimistic as Stephanie is. Uh, and I think Putin will be gone, you know, maybe before the end of the year, because uh, the disenchantment of the Russian political and military elites with his leadership are growing. Uh, the, the only thing that you are confronted with at this point is that there is no one you know to take over from from him i mean i when i remember you know when alexei navalny left the the uh, hospital in berlin in january 2021 and went back to moscow uh, he did it because he was confident you know that he wanted to show the russian people that there is someone who has the the guts you know, to go back, even though he knew then that he would uh, end in prison. But I think it was a miscalculation to to leave uh, Germany for Russia. He should have stayed in Germany and uh, somehow helped to create the opposition movement in Russia itself. I mean, you have hundreds of thousands of Russian uh, refugees in Berlin. You have Rus- hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian uh, refugees in in Berlin at this point. Let, let me add, Manfred, that there's a, there's a newspaper called Medusa, Medusa.io, which is operating in Moscow, but um, Putin chased them out. And now they're operating in the Baltics uh, beyond his reach. And they are publishing all over the world. Uh, but the principle being is that you can do a lot if you yes. want to, if you want to uh, argue with Putin, if you're outside Russia, right? I mean, well, I think Navalny made a big, big mistake, and he may die. You know, his his physical condition is is getting worse. But I'm not, I'm not believing. I mean, even if Belarus becomes uh, somehow uh, integrated into Russia, uh, that is not the beginning of, uh, you know. A process that will include all the the uh, Baltic states. I mean, if he attacks Estonia, that is the war with NATO. Uh, That's right. Estonia is a NATO country, isn't it? Right. So for that reason, uh, I will not uh, even say that he is as stupid as that. Well, but Manfred, Manfred, I mean, we keep stupid. on reading articles about how 
Uh, NATO doesn't have the weapons we thought it had. NATO is not able to provide either you know, the weapons that uh, Ukraine wants or the ammunition Ukraine wants or the money Ukraine wants. And, and there are fractures uh, in the EU coalition. Um, will the EU and especially Germany, will they be able to stand up uh, to a, a Putin advancing into the Baltics? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, even you have a strong peace movement in Germany, um, but uh, you have to remember part of this peace movement were the Greens at one point, but the Greens are now uh, the people within the coalition government, uh, Scholz's uh, 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 coalition, who are pushing uh, for being more assertive than the Social Democrats are. The Social Democrats have a problem, you know, their identity became affected by Putin's invasion in uh, February of 2022. Uh, they didn't expect that to happen. But the Greens did not suffer, did not, for some reason, did not suffer from the same kind of uh, legacy that the Social Democrats uh, do. So for that reason, uh, what you have in Germany today is a strong peace movement. And the most famous uh, philosopher, Jürgen Habermas, you know, he's 93 years old. Uh, he suggested, you know, negotiations, but uh, negotiations with whom? With, with Putin? I mean, Putin is a megalomaniacal uh, tyrant with whom you can uh, negotiate in the same way you could in 1938 with Hitler. Uh, and in both cases, you know, the, the result, uh, well, the result in 1938 was very clear. Uh, it was simply a postponement of the beginning of World War II. And negotiations with, with Putin at this point, I do not think uh, will lead to anything. Well, you know, let me, let me go to Tim on this. Uh, you know, Tim, um, there seems to be a, a, a peace movement happening in some communities, some countries in Western Europe, and in the United States. Uh, even this morning, the Times reported again uh, that there are members of Congress who don't want to spend money on American defense. Uh, we spend something like $800 billion on defense, and they're complaining that's too much. But inherently, they're also complaining they don't want to spend money on Ukraine. Uh, there's a peace movement where people say, oh, let's get Putin, I, I know, and I agree with Manfred, Let's get Putin to the table, you know, and, and make him an honest broker somehow, even though that we know that's impossible for a psychopath. Um, and and let's let's make peace here. That should be the priority. Um, question is, uh, my question to you is, we, we have this, this peace movement that is particularly troubling in the United States. How does that fit into the calculus? Um, will they be able to create a peace Will they be able to make Putin into an honest broker and negotiate something, anything, an end to the war? Or, or is all, all this uh, Shibai? A lot of questions in there, Jay, but I'll tackle one at a time. Um, you know, I, I think Joe Biden needs to make the same argument that um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt made. And as you think you're saving money by not getting involved and not funding this effort with Ukraine, how much more money will you spend once Putin has um, advanced far enough where now 
United States has to get involved. So you pay me now or you pay me much more later. I, and I don't think Joe Biden's making that argument against his detractors on the issue of funding Ukraine. And um, I think he's missing kind of an opportunity there. Um, as far as, um, what was your other part of that question, Jay? I'm sorry. Well, well I, I wanted to know uh, whether that, that affects the calculus. Uh, for yeah, it does. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously Putin is gauging support. I mean, he's looking to say, now, how strong is my hand here? And the United States is certainly a, a major player in that. So if, uh, you know, U.S. support or the, the voters or their, their support for Ukraine war is weakening, I can continue on. Um, I think it's hard to broker an honest deal with, with Putin because I guess in my mind is how do you broker a, a real settlement, a real truce, a real peace with a country and a leader that is guilty of war crimes, crimes against humanity? How do you... How do you reconcile those two um, opposing factors of peace and, and, and a settlement with a war criminal that you, you have to prosecute? Uh, Stephanie, I think we have to talk about China. Because <clears throat> uh, Lukashenko has been drawn, drawn into the web of Xi Jinping. They're meeting for a few days in China. Um, and, um, you know, they're forming some sort of alliance. At the same time, as made clear in, in our uh, discussion with the representatives of Belarus, is that China needs the rail because the rail uh, crosses Russia and then goes into Western Europe through Belarus. It's very interesting, which the United States should be concerned about because that's a, a hole in the boat, if you will. And so China is important. Recently at the G20, uh, China and Russia opposed the motion to condemn uh, the invasion of Ukraine. And so that motion could not pass. It was essentially a veto by the two of them. So we have China actively involved in supporting Russia now. And I want to know from you how that affects the calculus of Putin's uh, plans to move into the, the Baltics and the Balkans. I think uh, that's a very complicated uh, question and a big projection, but um, um, an interesting question. Um, frankly, uh, Putin's done his China dealing, but China has that railroad interest. They're desperate for those resources of Belarus, which is really good for Belarus because they've got uh, something to hang their hat on here. But let, let's face it, there's no brokering with this man and, and he's the one in charge. And there's no honest making of this man. There's only, frankly, I get, maybe we have to face it. There's nowhere to go, but gone. So I think that um, um, Manford's points are very, very good about uh, the hero uh, who went back to Russia and now is in prison. I don't know what his fantasy is. Maybe it's Storm the Bastille thing again. I don't know. But but Naval, Navalny, and, and Navalny, he's filed, he's he's filed 50 human rights violations charges. Yeah, yeah. so I, I don't know. So prison. I, why he wanted to take on that agenda, I don't know. But I, I, I liked Manfred's position on that very, very much. And we and he we, that option is lost. OK, so what other options are there? Where is NATO making a big deal out of prepping for him going into Belarus or maybe up there to go get... Uh, one of those other countries, because he'll go in where it's soft. 
so he can be fast and maybe present a different uh, event than he does in Ukraine, because he's going to do something like that. This is somebody who has no limits. There's no line below which he will not go. So my concern is that NATO is not outright showing that, I mean, other than bringing these other people in, let's arm Let's arm. And the same thing with the UN. Why are there not proposals being put up? Because they have the Security Security Council problem is the answer. Right, right. Okay. And so we've got that. But my point is let's get let's get clear here. This guy's gotta go. Okay. One or Nancy, another. Let me, we've let me got move to, set, to you save ourselves moment. from that you know, deal. We right. we seem to be talking about a kinetic war, a Connecticut domino effect. We seem to be talking about troops and missiles and artillery. Uh, but Putin is a smart guy, and he understands that this kind of um, uh, version of World War III, some people think it's that, uh, is more than just kinetic war. It's having spies, it's dissembling neighboring governments, and, and faraway governments for that matter. It's creating uh, divisiveness in countries that might be opposed to him um, by by electronic means, by social media um, by all his internet research agency. <clears throat> and, you know, for example, if we look at the Balkans, we find that there are Russian agents all over the Balkans. He has insinuated himself non-kinetically into Transnistria, which is kind of a lost cause, uh, and Moldova, and maybe Romania. Uh, you know, the Balkans are affected, and I haven't named all the countries in the Balkans, um, but by this kind of layered effect. And some of the things that Putin does in the Balkans and the Baltics don't cost a lot of money. It's not like he has to bring up the tanks, but he is subverting them anyway, preparing them for his ultimate move to try to take them over. Where does that fit, you know, in this question of where he will go next? Well, I think your thinking is too grandiose. And I think you give too much credit to Putin I think this guy is dead, politically dead in in Russia. I don't know how long it will take for the military and the political elites to somehow remove him. But when you read European newspapers about what's going on in Russia at this point, uh, I think it is only a, a, a matter of, of, of time. Now, your constant references, you know, to Estonia or any of the other Baltic countries, and now you include Romania, for God's sake, they are members of uh, NATO. So please, once they, once he moves into any of them, that's it. Uh, and I do not think NATO will not respond. NATO will respond, and even if Erdogan is still standing uh, in front of Sweden's and Finland's uh, membership, uh, I think that will end very, very soon too, because Erdogan, you know, uh, even though he didn't die in the earthquake, but I mean, the earthquake killed him politically uh, in terms of, of his elections. Uh, so for that reason, you will have a united, you will have a united uh, uh, NATO front. And when you are talking about the supply lines, uh, you know, it's very interesting how much, how quick uh, factories have been uh, built in Germany now. 
uh, to, to build, for example, tanks. Uh, it's the same thing with having now all of these uh, liquid gas uh, delivery uh, facilities in harbors that didn't exist before. They have been built within a few months. So the response is much more impressive than uh, people uh, are aware of. You know, we, we've had shows with uh, German engineers about the, their ability to rebuild. After World War II, it was quite remarkable how many communities in Germany were able to get on their feet almost immediately and how uh, they could help Ukraine now right. to rebuild, uh, you know, this huge destruction. But, um, you know, does Germany stand alone? Is France as strong? And by the way, uh, we, we talked about and hoped for the introduction of both Finland and Sweden into NATO. And uh, neither one of them has actually been introduced in, in, as a member yet. Uh, Finland apparently is on the track to do that soon. Um, but Sweden is somehow derailed uh, thanks to, uh, what is it, Viktor Orban and maybe... Oh, no, no, uh, Erdogan. And Erdogan, too. Yeah. We're not going to get Sweden right away. Well, now, how but, does that but, affect us? Is NATO strong enough? Not only Germany, but NATO. Is it strong enough to yes. deal with this? I, I think it is. Okay. <laughs> but, Jay, can, can you ask about what about the U.S.? What about all of these countries? You're talking about them prepping it, but what about the people? Are they ready to do this? Can you ask that question? How yeah, ready? Only, I'll but, ask that question. Well, uh, they do. Know, it's not only the strength of the country and the strength of its economy; it's how the people feel. And you right. know, uh, and the same thing in the United States. This this noise about how we should not support Ukraine uh, that is too expensive. Let's go for peace. Let's try to accommodate Putin. Um, there seems to be a growing chorus. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, how much how much effect is that going to have on the will, the ability of the countries of NATO to stand up uh, in case there is an attack on one of their members? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you have this isolationist uh, trend in the United States. You know, this is almost part, it's almost a birthmark of the United States. So please remember how long it took uh, the United States to overcome this isolationist uh, mentality in the 30s. You know, they needed the Japanese to bomb Pearl Harbor in order to get out of it. Now, uh, I don't know whether something as dramatic as that will happen uh, because I think the majority of Americans looking at these pictures from the Ukraine and, you know, the crimes against humanity that, uh, you know, are conducted by the Russians are enough to keep a majority on, you know, the side of this uh, anti-Putin uh, majority. Yeah, I hope so. Tim, you know, you're the media man here. You always talk about the media. And that's why uh, we played the commentary at the, at the beginning of this show um, to indicate the message that should be coming out to the public. Um, is it coming out from the media? Um, and does the, does the public understand the stakes here? Or are they focused on their shoelaces? Um, you know, that is, uh, let's make peace at any cost. And Putin must be an OK guy. And uh, we should uh, we should um, not support 
uh, war. We should not support Ukraine in its efforts to defend. Is, is the message getting out? Is the media doing a good job? What else can they do? Well, remember, Jay, we have two sets of media, and one set doesn't qualify as media, and that's Fox Entertainment, not Fox News. That's not media anymore. Uh, we've proven that, or that's been proven. Uh, so I'm still seeing on all multiple media stations, including social media, is the heroic efforts of Ukraine and right. uh, the uh, propaganda. But I'll see these positive news stories showing you know, under overwhelming forces, Ukraine um, prevails, even if they're, you know, uh, stories about a tank that's been taken down by a, uh, a you know, a, U a Ukraine drone. Uh, we're seeing story after story of, of victories uh, by an overwhelmed and uh, smaller country uh, that's prevailing and holding off the bear, the Soviet bear. Um, so those stories, I think, dominate the, the media. And yeah, we're seeing a few uh, survey polls and a few wing nuts like Marjorie Taylor Greene get out there in front of a microphone. But that's not the story, I don't think, at this point. So I think support is overwhelmingly high for Ukraine. And um, what Joe Biden needs to do, as I said earlier, is to make a case that it's not just Ukraine, that uh, the United States needs to be fully involved to support Ukraine to prevent Putin from showing his hand against Belarus uh, or other small uh, countries that are non-NATO countries. And I agree with, um, with Manfred that no way is Russia going to pick on an um, a Article 5 situation in the NATO charter and take on a NATO country. It's just not going to happen. And to your point about how this, um, you know, the last year has shown that NATO is somewhat fractured, um, I don't think it's fractured. I think it's an alarm bell. And the alarm bell was, yeah, they didn't have the equipment to really uh, support as much as we thought NATO could uh, the Ukrainian effort to, to fend off Russia. Uh, Stephanie, you know, we, you and I have been talking to the representatives of uh, Belarus. And, uh, you know, it, it, in fact, the last discussion uh, with the, the fellow who ran against uh, Lukashenko said that Belarus has emerged uh, into the public consciousness. It, is, it was not really considered a player in all of this, uh, what's going on in Ukraine. But now it is because it's uh, strategic, because there's violence happening. You know, they blew up that plane near Minsk. Um, there are, are 5,000 people who've been arrested and are in jail getting tortured. Um, there are border issues. Um, you know, the country uh, has a an active partisan democratic movement, um, and it's going to be um, more and more at the top of of the news the news cycle. How does that affect things? Because they could be next, according to Putin's leaked memorandum. They are next. Yeah, we you, true, and uh, they are uh, clearly aware of their emergence as a, a huge target of the bear, and, um, and uh, with a lot to lose. But they also have some resources that, that are important to Russia as well as China. But they're they're stepping out just like these people who are coming to the U.S. and now speaking at these major events and at major uh, conferences to get the word out about Belarus. This is a geography lesson for America, which we need. And we also need to know who these people are. So I still have questions about just how big is that democratic movement and what does that really mean in terms of rubber hitting the road, okay? So which leads to questions about um 
it, Russia not is tiptoeing around, not stepping on a NATO, NATO country. I don't agree with that. I think that when he's ready, um, uh, Putin's going to do that. But it all depends, I think, on the question of is their Russian nuclear arsenal in as uh, poor shape as is their army. Manfred. Perfect. I was yeah, Manfred to talk to us about is it in as poor shape as the army and is he working on building it up now so he's stronger and then he can tiptoe in where he wants. We have been asking this question, discussing this possibility for months and because uh, Putin, you know, he massages this every time he gets a chance. Um, mm -hmm. Are we going to have a nuclear, uh, uh, either tactical or more, war um, when he gets more and more desperate? And the and the uh, the rug is pulled out from under him somehow um, by his own people. Is he going to push the button somehow? Well, I, it's not because he wouldn't try to do it, but I think he would be prevented from doing that, among others, by the Chinese. Uh, um. You know, the Chinese have been very clear about that. In a meeting, for example, in Xi Jinping with uh, the German Chancellor Scholz. It became an issue, and uh, the Chinese, I think, are firm on that uh, and have communicated that to Putin. But it, I don't think Putin needs the communication of the Chinese. I think you will get the response of the military establishment in Russia itself, because they know if they do that, they will be in hell. I mean, okay, let me ask you that. I've heard that said many times. But suppose Putin, in his desperation, uses a tactical nuclear weapons uh, in Ukraine. Because after all, he's going down. His health is going down. You know, he's he's desperate. Um, how does that affect the calculus with regard to other countries around? Um, does it does it um, does it galvanize them? Do they become stronger? Uh, are they in horror? Uh, do they take more aggressive steps to deal with him? Or do they run away? All three. It galvanizes them, they are in horror, and some may be uh, running away, as, as you, even though they cannot uh, run away from nuclear weapons. You know, they will be hit uh, by the... If it becomes a total war, and I do not believe that will happen, and you will have resistance within the military establishment in Russia. Uh, so Putin has to be very, very careful uh, with, with his own military uh, leadership. You know, whatever mistakes they may have made in his uh, view by not delivering the Ukraine on the platter within a week, <laughs> but uh, they will not tolerate that. Because that's the end of them also. Well, the, the other thing I would add to that is that um, Chernobyl uh, is in Belarus. And Chernobyl is still hot, still radioactive. Uh, and so is the memory of people in Belarus and in all of Eastern right. Europe about what happened in Chernobyl. And one of the comments that uh, Valerie Sakalo uh, said this morning is that what exactly is there to conquer in eastern Belarus with Chernobyl. Is that the kind of territory you want to have? Uh, there's really no value except the radioactivity. Um, and so I think it's a fresh memory, relatively speaking, in Europe. And right. I think it will have a greater effect on people, on their sensibilities, 
than than for us because we don't have that. We haven't had that. Look, I have not talked with the people that the two of you have talked with from Belarus uh, recently, but remember. Lukashenko, you know, is in a way an illegitimate president um, because the person who won, uh, you know, is in exile in, in I don't know whether it's uh, Latvia or Estonia, but in any case, you have a huge democratic civil society in Belarus. Uh, and uh, for that reason, you know, Lukashenko uh, looks as weak uh, politically, as uh, the pre-Zelensky people looked in the Ukraine. Yes, I agree totally. Uh, I, I totally agree. That's true, and he's he's fragile for that reason. Right, uh, and he may be weak at the end of the day when the partisans get stronger, and apparently they are. We're almost out of time, you guys, and I'd like to go round the table here and call for uh, summaries and and final takeaway comments. Um, let's begin with you, Stephanie. What would you like to say and what would you like people to think of? Well, I really appreciate Manfred's uh, insights uh, based you know, on his life and experiences and knowledge of the area. Um, I, I believe that Putin will, in contrast to Manfred, I think he will. I don't know how he'll go about it, but he um, has no there's there's no bottom line. Okay, so he's either going to hit us with one, okay, and do the Pearl Harbor thing, or he's going to um, do something like a soft Estonia, go up there and hold them hostage against the NATO onslaught. And then we've all got all of this politics to deal with. And we have to remember that we've got, um, you know, we've got uh, Trump out there, influencing Margie, who's influencing the U.S. House of Representatives. So it's there's no good, you know, golden deal here that we're coming to the rescue in the same way that we have before. I just want to say one more thing. It's positive. There's a space station up there in which we all cooperate. And especially the Russians, they've saved our grids a couple times. Why can't we build from that? Who's who's I mean, talking about making an honest man out of Putin. I mean, we could start by trying a little bit on that side of making a bigger deal out of that space station cooperation. Why can't that? That seems to uh, me that funny, we have funny how that works. And we have a, a similar relationship with China where we really need to have uh, the economic interdependence for the benefit of both parties. So yep. it's a mixed bag. Yeah, Manfred, we're missing Man, why don't you go here. now, Manfred, give us your, your thoughts uh, and see if you agree or disagree uh, with what Stephanie was saying. Well, I certainly disagree with uh, Stephanie, and I don't think uh, the space solution uh, is a very uh, hopeful one. I do not think that Putin will make it. I don't think Putin will be allowed by his own military establishment to make the moves from entering Estonia uh, to using nuclear weapons, uh, because they are aware that's the end uh, for them. So for that reason, I am still optimistic. Uh, and uh, remember, you have, you, have, you have opposition within Russia. Um, but you have, uh, well, that's it. I think uh, 
I'm not as pessimistic as uh, Stephanie is. Okay. And uh, Tim falls on you to make a, a sweeping and yet profound uh, uh, meaning out of all of this. It makes me nervous when you expect me to be profound. It really does make me quite, quite nervous. But let me take a crack at it. Uh, look, at Belarus is the main target. Given the context of the title of this show and our discussion, Belarus, I think, is the main target. I think Levinchenko knows that. When he went to China, he put his troops uh, on full alert. Now, he's, he, he said it was for um, his concern about Ukraine, but I think he's worried about Russia. And, and, and as we've all identified, Lukashenko is a puppet leader. And like all puppet leaders, they can be shoved aside quite easily. And, and I don't think Putin has one bit of reservation to do that at his will. Uh, my God, once you become a staging area for the Russian troops and equipment, what's the next step? The entire country. And it would be quite advantage, an advantage to Putin to have Belarus as his next staging area to take on, uh, it's much closer to Kiev, so why not? So I, I think that's where we're at. And uh, it may not be profound, but I think the handwriting's on the wall that Belarus is the next target. And just to add, uh, I hate to agree, disagree with my, my co-host, uh, Stephanie, here, but there's no way that Putin is going to get away with attacking a NATO country because of the ramifications of the Article 5, uh, all for one, one for all. And uh, whether NATO has the equipment or not, Believe me, the United States, Germany, and all the other NATO countries have more than enough war equipment to wipe uh, Putin off the map. I can see Manfred agreeing with that. Uh, so, yeah, um, uh, let me urge our viewers <laughs> to take a look at the two shows we've done um, on Belarus. So uh, both of them covered some of these points from the vantage of the uh, democratic movement uh, in Belarus. This has been a great discussion. Really appreciate it. Um, and we'll, we'll cover it going forward. Um, um, my co-host, uh, Tim Apicella, our uh, uh, regular contributor, Stephanie Stoll-Dalton, uh, and our special esteemed guest, uh, Manfred Henningsen, Emeritus uh, Political Science at UH for many decades. Thank you very much, all of you. Aloha. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.